Section 15 of Brain and Personality. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in January 2021. Brain and Personality or The Physical Relations of the Brain to the Mind by William Hannah Thompson. The Significance of Sleep. Part 2. No one can fail, therefore, to be deeply impressed by the revelation of what the significance of sleep is, when it clearly appears that it is only the play upon it of the consciousness, and especially the highest function of consciousness, the will, that fatigues or exhausts with weariness any part of the living body. The muscles of the thumb and forefinger are small indeed, either in size or in power compared with the diaphragm but as we have mentioned often both the nerves of these muscles and the muscles themselves are wholly ruined in writer's palsy by too continuous work done by them at the command of the will as soon as the will orders the muscles of the arms and legs to work under its direction that work becomes labor Ere long they cry for rest and must have it, or fatal exhaustion will follow. Therefore, it is not natural work, whether nervous or muscular, but only conscious work which wears. In proportion to the continuousness with which the conscious will enters into any bodily action is the resultant fatigue. What does this remarkable fact mean? because instead of missing the presence of this law of being in the operations of the brain itself when thoughts are passing through it we then meet with some of its most striking illustrations allow the brain to think as it pleases and it is much pleased to do so it enjoys all the afferent impressions of the senses and thinks fast and easily it roves from thought to thought and from fancy to fancy as lightly as the butterfly passes from flower to flower mental butterflying in fact is a good descriptive term of the thinking of many men and women but the moment the will calls the mind from its pasturing and putting its bridle on says now go my way and think exclusively as i direct you the sense of effort is immediate and fatigue begins. Many persons, indeed, not only cannot think long by will, that is, think efferently, but they cannot even think long afferently by will, as, for example, in the passive mental exercise of listening. If they listen at all, they must have a constant variety of sensation. This constitutes one of the signs of mental degeneracy of our day, namely, the craving for that low, afferent form of mentality which is ministered to by what is properly termed the sensational. Owing to its direct relations to life, physiologists have labored long in their researches into the genesis of fatigue. The Leipzig school, especially, has almost subordinated other themes of physiology to this investigation by the most exhaustive experiments with numerous ingenious devices to ascertain and to measure how muscles are acted upon by stimuli 
and how they are exhausted by them. But it should be noted that the only stimuli with which they can experiment are themselves unnatural and foreign to this living tissue itself. A prick of a pin, a pinch with a forceps, an irritating acid, or their most commonly used agent, an electrical current, are none of them the natural stimuli of either nerve or muscle. In fact, cartilage is a better conductor of an electrical current than is a nerve. But the inference is that these stimuli can exhaust a muscle because they are unnatural to it. Natural stimuli are like those which descend from the medulla to the diaphragm muscle and which never exhaust it. Nor do any other stimuli from the medulla cause fatigue, because they all have the character of being spontaneous, or what is termed automatic. But a will stimulus, called a voluntary stimulus, is necessarily not automatic, and hence distinctly different from automatic stimulus. Here, therefore, is the secret of the inevitable fatigue which so-called voluntary activity sooner or later occasions. The inference, therefore, seems certain that the consciousness, and particularly its most vivid form, the active will, is essentially foreign both to the muscular and to the nervous system of the body, including the brain itself. If the conscious will were not foreign but were natural, its exercise would not cause fatigue. Hence, it must be something super-added to the body as an extra burden for the body to carry. Such being the case, the conclusion follows that the necessity for sleep arises from the fact that the consciousness bears the relation to the body of the rider to his horse. While the rider directs the horse in all his ways, he is neither the horse nor a constant part of the horse, but so different from him that it is his added weight which wears the animal out and makes it necessary for this rider to dismount at stated intervals and leave the horse wholly alone. The horse can get along perfectly well without this rider and then not know what fatigue means. But the separate load of the consciousness is so far from being light that no other provision is possible than its complete withdrawal from brain and body until they are both sufficiently rested. All animals, therefore, require sleep in proportion to their possession of consciousness, but more than all, man, because in him consciousness attains to its highest activity in the purposive will. To prevent misconception, it should be repeated that it is primarily consciousness, with or without the will, which causes the fatigue which necessitates sleep. Sleep is common to infants and animals, including hibernating animals, quite irrespective of the will, because all forms of consciousness cause fatigue in proportion to their intensity. When particularly vivid and prolonged, the resultant weariness may be too great for perfect sleep to follow. Thus, dogs after an exciting day's hunting often have their sleep disturbed by their dreams of the chase. All this is because consciousness is itself a specific stimulus to nerve matter, just as light and sound are. 
in the case of these afferent stimuli however their source and nature can be easily identified not so consciousness even in its simplest form of a common sensation on page 162 in the chapter on the evolution of a nervous system we remark what is sensation nobody knows all definitions of sensation amount to saying that sensation is sensation for to call it an act of the consciousness is when translated into anglo-saxon to announce that the thing which feels feels but when instead of passively receiving a sensation the consciousness is actively excited by a designing will the resulting exhaustion is much greater and that constitutes our whole contention what a powerful specific stimulus to a nerve centre the will may be to the degree of causing destructive physical and chemical changes in it we have already shown on page 222 but what becomes of the personality itself when it thus withdraws we have seen that it must still exist in its entirety during sleep as well as before sleep one difficulty of course is inherent in the problem namely that the personality itself is always invisible a living brain when exposed though it then be conscious shows no more evidence of the mind which is there than does any other bodily thing the nearest we ever come to seeing this indweller is when it makes the eye flash all that we can see is that our consciousness in its relation to the mind seems somewhat like a window which is but rarely opened wide whole trains of thoughts may go on within us with the light of this window scarcely falling upon them except at the final conclusions unconscious cerebration is what physiologists call this kind of thinking but does this kind of thinking go on while the window of consciousness is wholly closed during sleep there are some facts of experience which seem to point that way people often go to bed in a state of much perplexity or indecision about certain matters and then rise in the morning much as if they had taken some friend's advice while they were asleep which puts things in an entirely new light others say that they want to sleep over a question before they will decide it there is nothing like sleep for promoting judiciousness on the other hand some anecdotes are told which appear to show that occasionally the personality does steal behind the closed window of consciousness in sleep and then having the mental machine all to itself makes it work even more effectively than in the waking estate such occurrences however are too few to establish any general principle two such instances i can personally vouch for while at college i was told by a fellow student that his roommate called childs sat up with him late one night working at a difficult problem in mathematics failing to solve it charles rubbed his slate clean put out the light and retired to bed in much vexation long after midnight his chum was awakened by a light when he saw charles in his nightdress busy with his slate he then called to charles to desist from such untimely work 
but not receiving any answer turned over to sleep the next morning while both were dressing charles complained that his night's rest had not refreshed him i am not surprised replied his friend when you got up about three o'clock and went at that problem again charles answered that he had done nothing of the kind when glancing at the table he was astonished to find his slate covered with the problem all correctly worked out the other instance was that of a british consul in syria who afterwards rose high in the diplomatic service he had been a diligent student of arabic to fit himself for the duties of his position when one night he tried to compose a letter to a lebanon emir arabic etiquette requires that such letters should testify to the accomplishments of the writer in the selection of a multitude of conventional compliments corresponding to the rank of the person addressed when besides these the matter in hand had to be dealt with very diplomatically the consul did little that evening but tear up one letter after another which he had written as unsatisfactory till finally he stopped in despair and went to bed blessing all arabic composition in general the next morning he found on his desk a fresh letter which he must have penned as it was in his handwriting and so well worded that he forthwith dispatched it but to revert to the subject of fatigue because a thing is as it is we cease either to inquire or to reason about it but why cannot we carry on all the activities of our conscious life as we do those of our bodily life without fatigue why do all voluntary acts whether muscle nerve or brain be used in them lead to such exhaustion that sleep becomes necessary regarded by itself human fatigue supplies one of the strongest foundation facts for a philosophy of pessimism it is all very well to speak of the dignity of labor but labor is a curse no rhetorical halo cast about it in modern democratic communities when manual labor is spoken of can really hide its intrinsic odiousness the other great truth that idleness is for man a worse curse does not alter the fact that labor remains the heavy weary burden of human life muscle work is the commonest and the simplest and hence can be done also by the ox therefore it is cheap its pay is low and the man who can do no other work is always poor but for man this animal work is so hateful that nothing but stern compulsion keeps him at it as with the great majority of our race simply to get enough to eat but brain work is harder yet because the will is then so much more engaged the only compensation is that it commands higher wages because it costs more to produce it and hence is more costly but so difficult is this work that no form of labor is more often shirked really active brain workers are few owing to the steadiness of purpose which such labor requires the self-reproaches which life retrospects so commonly bring come from the recognition that the best course was so often not followed because another was at the time easier but human excellence be it mental or moral is never made easy of attainment for us 
we may have every such excellence if we will only pay for it with its equivalent in grievous toil therefore it is to this curse of labor that so much of human failure and sorrow can be ascribed while the sun shines mankind carries its pathetic burden of work till night comes with its sleep which allows it for a space to forget all its woes but has this temporary oblivion any other physiological purpose than to permit the burden to be lifted again once more we repeat that it is no answer to say that fatigue is the simple result of the expenditure of our bodily forces a chemical result of the chemical processes which would consume the candle of life if kept too continuously burning for we have seen that this is not true heart and lungs with their working muscles and energizing nerves burn up more in their work than any other bodily things do but fatigue never interferes with nor follows upon their active chemical processes hence sleep may be termed nature's great anaesthetic for the pain of labor and regarded as a great blessing just as chloroform is a blessing for what otherwise would be unendurable but while we speak of sleep as our sweet restorer we must not forget that the living body itself never needs this restorer till something different from it begins to stir the brain with its activities we have dealt with this subject of fatigue because of its physiological import for nothing could witness more plainly to the separate and external nature of the consciousness and of the purposive will than this virtual protest of the physical frame against them both but particularly against the will it need not be wondered at therefore that to many thoughtful minds both in ancient and modern times sleep has appeared as one of the strongest of evidences that the soul is not of the body but distinct from it both body and soul can exist apart from each other in the sleeping state the body is seen left entirely to itself compared with the waking state the difference is marvellous is that succeeding amazing difference which comes at the instant of waking a thing of physical or chemical origin could the body create the man in that moment common sense which is the safe and balanced sum of all sense answers that such a supposition is nonsense magnetism and iron are associated for mighty working in a dynamo but only while the electrical current is coursing through the iron then in a twinkling the iron is only iron does the iron itself make the magnetism every time the connection recurs sleep and awakening have always made mankind doubt the fact of human extinction by death in the remotest past when the race was represented by the primitive cave dwellers they buried with their dead weapons for the chase food and food utensils and even for the children their little toys a minority of men may now attempt to ascribe this conviction which is found everywhere and in all times merely to human aspiration it is true that the human heart has much to say and to ask when loved ones lie dead but it is the sure fact of sleep which makes hope so reasonable by giving the lie to every doctrine of extinction 
we have already tried to picture a world whose inhabitants though otherwise like ourselves had never seen any one sleep and what a number of questions such a sight would occasion among them but the sight of one dead would be to them unspeakably awful because unlike us they had never been prepared beforehand by any example of a real going away followed by a real coming back yet for us the only serious difference as regards personality between sleep and death is that after death there is no return in both states the absence of the personality is complete but does the failure to return make the same absence then mean extinction when it never did so in sleep no one really believes it though one may say he does what is generic cannot be got out of us by logic or by anything else and a belief in a hereafter is as generic of mankind as the faculty of speech itself the men who nearly sixty centuries ago built those tremendous tombs the pyramids cared more about the other world than this to judge him by what he accomplished in every direction unaided by foreign teaching or by inheritance from the past the old egyptian of the fourth dynasty was no fool some would say that his solicitude about the future life was because his priest frightened him but then the question immediately arises how came the priest to have such power to scare him as an historical fact disbelief in the unseen world does not prevail among nations until they begin to rot in greece it was not in the age of marathon or of aristides that such infidels abounded but in the wretched times when only rhetoricians and sophists flourished when rome was all iron the roman was a devout man but in the slavish days of a tiberius and a domitian he became an epicurean the brain does not work well with the blood reaching it after coursing through gangrenous tissues the lack of any returning traveller to tell of the world beyond caused primitive and ancient peoples to picture it each for themselves but as the imagination can do nothing but reproduce earthly scenes so the egyptian had another egypt the greek elysian fields and the american indian happy hunting grounds on the other hand with the dark grave as its portal an association of gloom often remained inseparable from thoughts of the abode of the dead homer depicts the wise ulysses descending there and finding it a cheerless place where even the greatest departed heroes live only as weak mournful spectres so that achilles tells his old friend i would rather be one of earth's ploughmen working for another poor impoverished man than to rule all the shades of the dead but the light which modern science has shed upon the facts of life can suggest too when duly pondered quite different trains of thought or if you please of mental pictures of another life than this awaiting us the mental and moral equipment of man seems sufficient for any future life however limitless its conditions locality which held such an exclusive place in ancient conceptions can be wholly subordinated now to questions about states of being 
we can now conceive of a body no longer made of the most temporary forms of that matter which is itself passing away but fashioned to be a dynamic body a body of power which need not shrink as here from the heavy burden of the will there should be no night there for sleep will not be needed when purpose does not weary nor its exercise fatigue then as to the mind we know that at present the word enough is only understood but not experienced by man and the opportunities for knowledge in a universe would not be too many for his desires but above all rises a conception of a perfection of being when the will so responds to the highest motives alone that there could be no conflict with lower motives forever often we fail to appreciate all which death implies when it comes at the end of a long wasting disease marked by progressive enfeeblement of the bodily powers and by clouding of the mind at such times it may simply appear as a physical process like a candle slowly burning itself out but it is quite otherwise when a man it may be an exceptional man as regards mind altogether leaves us in an instant how are we then stunned at being thus confronted with the whole mystery of our being there is nothing so impressive as this a living embodiment of personal mental power before us one moment and in another gone from us forever however it may have been with us before the here and the hereafter cannot now be divided in our minds for the one follows too quickly upon the other to let us believe that there is no link between them one event of this kind which happened on a public occasion in new york will not be forgotten to the end of his days by any one who witnessed it our whole great country from the atlantic to the pacific was then agitated by the discussion of the great human question what is money a coin may be one of the smallest things that man makes but however small it testifies to ideas of value utterly beyond the comprehension of any other animal than man because in that material thing are represented the existence of law fixed institutions and society as it adjusts the relations of individuals to one another so entirely ideal however is money that on a piece of paper which may be burnt with a match may be printed what would make it more valuable than any other one thing on earth but whatever money's outward form it must always represent its equivalent in human labor nothing but that gives its value to money coin or paper produced without that costly antecedent cannot be money however much men may insist that it is but because money itself has no existence outside of agreement between men so good faith in that agreement is its sole basis so sure is this law that every social tie in a great country may be endangered by a loss of faith in what purports to be its money it requires therefore great mental grasp to perceive clearly through all the incalculably complex relations of civilized life what a momentous meaning attaches to the word credit with credit gone everything goes because men no longer know how to deal with each other 
a country's minister of finance therefore should be above all others one who can quickly see what imperils its public credit and just how it does so on january twenty ninth eighteen ninety one the new york board of trade and of transportation held its annual dinner representing as it did the greatest business interests of the land and with the whole country stirred by the financial question it invited the then secretary of the treasury of the united states to address it on that occasion every one was eagerly waiting for what he would then say because he was a statesman long and widely known as a man of not only great ability but of the highest personal character after holding many public positions in his own western state of minnesota he was elected to the national house of representatives where for ten years he held the responsible position of chairman of the financial committee of the house that of ways and means in that position he actively contended for and finally won an object which had strongly enlisted his christian sympathies by a bill directed against the great abuses by government agents in their dealing with the indian tribes he then served for ten years in the united states senate once losing his seat in that body because he would not sacrifice his convictions on the money question as did others among his party's leaders in his state he then served twice as a cabinet officer as secretary of the treasury nor were his hearers now disappointed with what he had to say after a masterly review of the whole subject of what money is and always must be to make it money he characteristically brushed aside all other issues to insist on the moral aspects of good faith as the one vital principle underlying everything financial the words which he then spoke were printed day after day on the front pages of many of the most prominent newspapers in the country and served to determine thousands of men how to vote when the time came these words were as poison in the blood permeates arteries veins nerves brain and heart and speedily brings paralysis or death so does a debased or fluctuating currency permeate all the arteries of trade paralyze all kinds of business and bring disaster to all classes of people it is as impossible for commerce to flourish with such an instrument as it is for the human body to go strong and vigorous with a deadly poison lurking in the blood as he uttered these last words in the blood his tongue faltered he sank to the floor and in a moment of time he was gone what was it that happened to william windham the man who had always been a leader wherever he was an influential legislator an active philanthropist and an eminent statesman whose great services to his country at a most critical time will never be forgotten human philosophy and human science hardly know what to say in reply a higher voice than either of theirs answers he fell asleep for after sleep cometh awakening end of section 15 end of brain and personality or the physical relations of the brain to the mind by william hannah thompson